Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago's sports station. Welcome back in on Inside the Clubhouse. He is Bruce Levine. I am Matt Spiegel. Rosenblum and Grody coming up in one hour, but we've got you for another hour of baseball conversation. That includes our next guest, Bruce, who joins us on the Alpamani Ford Hotline, Alpamani Ford in Melrose Park. One of the most influential trainers in the history of baseball uh, and has more friends in the game than anybody I know, and that goes back 40 years. Herm Schneider, the trainer emeritus for the Chicago White Sox, joins us on Inside the Clubhouse. Hermie, good morning. How are you? Bruce, Matt, how are you guys? We, we are doing excellent. And uh, since uh, it's only appropriate with uh, Michael Jordan uh, getting center stage once again during this series on Last Dance on ESPN, that we talk to you. Uh, and this, this week uh, is going to touch on Jordan's baseball career, although short, uh, certainly impactful, and uh, how you initially were asked to uh, train Michael Jordan to get started for baseball. Start, Hermie, start us with uh, your conversation with Jerry Reinsdorf and how this uh, whole thing uh, laid out and, and was uh, told to you. All right, my pleasure. Um, in the winter of 1993, um, the White Sox had their organization meetings in Las Vegas. Um, this was just before Thanksgiving, so it was about mid to uh, mid November. Um, and after the meetings were over, Jerry called me aside and said, "Can I talk to you?" And I said, "I'm happy to, sure." Um, he said, "You do me a favor," and I said, "Absolutely, whatever I can do." He said, "I want you to get Michael Jordan ready to play baseball." I looked at him a little bit funny, and I said, you know, are you, you know, you serious? You're kidding? No, he goes, I'm absolutely serious. Uh, he wants to play baseball. He's asked me. I'm able to let him do that, and I'm going to let him do that, and I want you to get him ready. Uh, I know you don't have a ton of time, but uh, I want you to give him a call and set something up and uh, get it going. I said, all right. Yes, sir. Let's, I'll get her going. So um, I got home from Vegas. I gave Michael a call, and I said, uh, and we happened to know each other because we did some, the White Sox did some training at the Birdo Center where they were doing their training at the time. So I knew Michael. We were not complete strangers by any stretch of the imagination. But um, buddies like you and I are, Bruce, I don't think we were quite that. 
but uh, but we were certainly we were certainly friendly to each other. Um, so I called him. He knew who I was when I was calling, and I said, you know, I understand you want to get started on some training for baseball, and I'm happy to help you. When do you want to do this? He says, as soon as possible. I said, okay, well, you know, tomorrow is uh, Thanksgiving. How about we meet on Friday after Thanksgiving, and uh, we come up with a plan? And I said, uh, fine. I, he said, fine. So I said, all right, you give me a call five minutes before, and then I will open up the um, the, the roll-up doors where the TV trucks go in the loading dock, and you can pull in, and I'll close the door behind you. So we kind of keep this on the QT. He goes, good, I'll give you a call. Five minutes before he gets there, he calls. Very punctual fella. You know, I mean, he was on time. I mean, he, he, whatever he said something, he kind of meant it. So I got it. I got that feeling pretty quickly. Um, so I wrote, went out there and opened up the rolling glass door, uh, sliding glass door, excuse me, and um, he pulled in in a very inconspicuous vehicle. I think it was like a Chevy Blazer, nothing fancy, eye-catching or anything like that. And we started chatting, and I told him, I said, listen, you know, spring training is not that far off. You want to do this? We're going to have to build you a foundation. And he said, that was fine with him. And uh, I said, okay, so how about we meet? Uh, when do you want to meet? And he said, well, what about tomorrow? And I said, well, okay, you know, it's Saturday, right? And he goes, yeah, that, that's fine with me. So he said, I want to work every day. And, he, and I said, well, oh, okay, you know, we'll work every day. So we, uh, we met on Saturday um, and we started strengthening his shoulder and his elbow and his hands and his wrists, which were, you know, completely different um, strengthening programs than you had to do in the NBA, of course, because they're they're totally opposite. I wasn't so worried about his cardiovascular situation because he's always in good shape running and all that, so I wasn't totally concerned. I was more concerned about the vital parts in baseball, which, once again, are the shoulder, the elbow, the hands, and the wrist, forearm. Um, those are the things because he was going to be doing a lot of swinging. So we did not put a bat in his hand. For about a week to ten days, we just did some strengthening of those uh, those body parts that I mentioned. Um, got Billy Melton to come in and uh, asked uh, Ron Schuler, who was our GM at the time, if if I could ask uh, you know Billy Melton if he would help me with hitting because Michael needed to hear about hitting from somebody that knew about hitting. Only thing I know about hitting that it's hard to do. I know that. <laughs> Um, so I didn't want to, you know, so I got Billy there. So he would start chatting with him as we were working out on his shoulder and his elbow and all that conversation. There was a conversation going on. Um, so Michael would understand the terminology, um, what he was going to be hearing when he got to spring training. You know, when they said a certain thing, he it wouldn't be Greek to him, so to speak. Uh, so we started that part of the dialogue as well as uh, the foundation of getting him uh, ready to, to, to play. Mind you, you know, he, he got to spring training. It wasn't just magic that he was ready to play baseball at that time. There was a lot of work involved. We worked seven days a week uh, for probably uh, maybe close to eight, eight to nine weeks before we left for spring training. 
seven days a week, mind you. And he, he's the one that wanted to do that. And I had to find a blend to keep him from hurting himself with um, his shoulder, his elbow, his wrist, his hands, his hands. When did we started to hit about a week or 10 days in, we started to hit a little bit. We did the, um, they start, you know, blisters were coming up on his hands. They were starting to break and the bleeding and had to patch them up. And he just wanted to patch them up and keep going. And I was okay with that because they were, you know, normal blisters for hitting. Um, and he had to toughen up his hands because once he got to spring training, he was going to hit a lot more than he was hitting with us. Um, cause Walter was going to get a hold of him. And, uh, if he was really serious about playing, Walter was going to, you know, he was going to work with him early yeah, in the he was morning. Wear well. him out. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, not wear him out, but certainly give him a share of his, uh, swings. Mm-hmm. So I had to get him prepared for that. Um, which was quite a task actually, if, if you think about it. Um, so we got to the point where he needed to, um, stretch out a little bit. He needed to start throwing. We were throwing in the tunnel and the cage. So we built a little, we built a foundation, but then it got to the point where we needed to stretch him out a little bit and get him lengthened. So um, Jim Dara, who happened to be the baseball coach at IIT, who was a friend of mine, I gave him a call and asked him if we could sneak over to the, uh, to the gym there and I don't know if you know that gym or not, but it's a large, long mm-hmm. gym. It's, uh, it's, it worked out pretty good. He said yes, and he got their security. Just didn't know what was going on. He did, but nobody else knew. He, the, the security kept people from coming in at the time, so we would keep the secret. And mind you, for about seven to eight weeks, Bruce, there was not a whisper that this was going on. I mean, we kept it extremely quiet. He called me, and I opened up those doors for him. He came in. Uh, we did our thing for about four hours or so, and then he, I'd open the door. He'd leave, close the door, and I'm tell- nobody knew in the dead of winter what was going mm-hmm. on at the ballpark. Um, then all of a sudden, you know, somebody saw him pull up to IIT, and then all of a sudden the word was kind of out you know, that he was going to do that. And uh, we still had to kind of uh, keep the doors locked where we were so people might see him from afar. But, you know, I wouldn't let it turn into a circus at that time, you know, on my my watch with him. Um, So um, we went on, did this long toss, he did hitting. Uh, Mike Huff came by uh, and started working with him on outfield drills inside the gym just to get him aware of how to turn to the left, how to turn to the right, how to come in on a ball, how to, how to go back on a ball, how to scoop a ball up and transfer from glove hand to throw hand, uh, how to take the step, not too many steps, but a step to, uh, you know, all those, those things that he was going to see and have to experience once he got to Florida. And we just didn't want it to be, where we we didn't touch on it, where he didn't know what was going on. So we did our very best to give him a crash course and try to keep him from soreness, not to injury. And, uh, you know, he did get sore quite a bit, and we worked on that in the mornings. He'd come in early. I think I'd get there around 7, and we'd work from about 7 to maybe 8 just on treatments on his shoulders, you know, the parts that I told you to – 
because they were sore, you know, and, and he, we needed to keep going, but I had to make sure that he didn't hurt his shoulder or any of the other parts that I'd mentioned. And that's a fine line you walk because you want to push him, but you don't want to push him to the point where he gets a setback because a setback would have been very detrimental to him. He would not have been able to make spring training at the beginning of it, you know, and that would have kind of put a needle in his balloon a little bit, I think, at that time. So I had to find that uh, that right blend and push and get him ready without hurting him at the same time. Um, so we got to the point where it was time to go to spring training. Um, we left a little bit, or I think we left about a week to 10 days before spring training started. He invited me and our equipment guys at the time, um, to fly down with him on his plane, which was, you know, was, was a treat. Um, so we had to meet him at Waukegan airport where he uh, staged his airplane and we flew down to Sarasota together. Um, all of our cars were waiting at uh, the uh, FBO that we landed at. And uh, I showed him how to get to his house that uh, um, his agent had prepared for him. And uh, then I went to the hotel and he, he gave me a call and he said, can you come back? Um, can we? And, and I guess this little story got out quite a bit from what I understand. He said, "Can you come back?" And because uh, I'm by myself right now, I don't have my uh, my people with me. And can we go to a grocery store? Because I need sure. to get some groceries. Because you know, I don't uh, go out by myself. I usually eat at home. And I said, "Yeah, sure, I'll be over." And this was a bit late at night. Um, I would say I'm maybe around ten, eleven, and we headed off. I picked him up, and we went to the Publix in Sarasota, Florida. At about midnight, I would say, we went there um, by design because we wanted it to be quiet. And uh, we went in the store, and there was a handful of people at the most in there. Um, and those are people working and maybe stocking the shelves and things like that. By golly, Bruce and, and Matt, within 30 minutes, that store was packed with people. It was unbelievable. And I'm saying to myself, how in the world these people know that we're here? And I guess the people that were working there were just making calls left and right um, that he was sore. And uh, fortunately, we were um, well uh, on our way to finishing up our shopping. He says to me, he says, I've had enough. Let's go pay and get out of here. <laughs> so we uh, he checked out and got stuff in his car here, and he and I are pushing shopping carts to cars. And that's the truth, you know. I mean, he's an ordinary guy, you know, at the time. Um, so we're, we're loading up his car, and then um, we head off to uh, back to his house, um, help unload him, and then I take off to the hotel because I'm a little bit tired at the time. Next morning, he meets me at the ballpark, and we get started. We just take everything we did in Chicago to a little bit of a next level because we were outside and some of the staff members were there um, at the time and they were instructed to follow through what we were doing. And they started hitting them fly balls outside on the field and th things like that. Mind you, nobody really knew that we were at the ballpark at the time and they were keeping it closed. Um, and uh, he was, all the things he was doing in the gym, we just took it to the next level outside 
and then I, he started hitting in the cages in Florida. And it's, it was a little different because you had wind and grass, and he wasn't using his uh, Air Jordan shoes um, on because we were on a gym floor. We had to put spikes on them, and that was a, a, a change to him. He never really wore spikes before. All of these things were new to him that we had to uh, educate him on to get him ready to play. And he was 100% for it. I mean, he he worked his butt off. He never said no. He wanted more. And it was always a point where I had to, to pull back with him because he wanted to do too much. And I was still concerned all the way through spring training that he would hurt himself and that would set him back where he just wouldn't make it through spring training. So um, had to really keep an eye on him for that, um, along with everybody else that was in spring training. So um, it was just a, it was a, it was a busy spring, a fun spring, uh, intense spring, um, just a lot going on, but he blended in very nicely. He was very generous to the players, uh, especially to the younger players, um, the non-roster guys, so to speak. Um, he would see that their shoes were terrible. Um, their uh, sweatshirts that they had on were not the best. And they were, so he would tell every day, he'd tell five or six guys, go tell Herm your shoe size and your shirt size, and he'll order some stuff for you. So I had a fellow that was working for from, Nike. From that, Nike, right, Herm? Yeah, from Nike. So yeah. um, there was a, he had a handler that worked with him for Nike. So I had his cell number. I don't know if it was a cell number. I had his direct number, let's say. I would call in. This is amazing. I would call in every day about five or six orders for guys, their sizes. And the fellow's name was Howard White. And, And by the next morning, before I got to the ballpark almost, there were these boxes sitting in my office. From, from Nike, it was. I mean, they must have put them on the on the red eye at night to get to me. Hmm. So, um, and this happened every day because the next day he had five or six guys come to me, and on. So that went on and on. So he was extremely generous and um, worked real friendly with everybody and blended in with everybody. Um, uh, you know, people were picking his brains left and right and. You know, you can just imagine what it was like for all these young kids in the Michael Jordan era, so to speak, to have him in the clubhouse sitting next to them, um, putting on his uniform and his spring training gear, just like they are. Um, autographs, guys were coming in asking him for autographs like I've never seen before. I mean, it was like, I, it was hard to explain what I was seeing. And he would just tell all of them, put them in my office. At the end of the workout, he would sign them, and then he could, everybody could pick those things up the next day. And this went on virtually every day. I mean, I had basketballs. I had shoes. I had pictures. I had uh, baseballs. Guys were, were bringing in a dozen baseballs. They wanted them all to sign it's their baseballs. Basketball. They were going out buying basketballs like crazy. And Michael never said no to anybody. Signed them all. Um, would spend maybe a couple hours at the end of the day with me while I was doing my paperwork. He would sit in there and sign everything and 
Um, it would be in there the next morning. Each one of these guys would come and take their things. And that next day, here comes a whole load again of different things. And, I mean, you, you would think he would have got tired of it and, and, and said, this is enough. No, he never did that. He never did that. So, um, yeah, he was very generous and uh and uh, friendly and workable and the guy worked his butt off and he uh, i mean like mike huff said yesterday i believe it was yesterday or thursday on uh, the radio show this guy hit 202 in double a where that doesn't sound like a lot but he had i don't remember his numbers bruce i'm sure you do but he had a number of stolen bases he had over, over 30 31 I 30 yeah Right, and he had a, uh, he had uh, about 50 RBIs, I believe, didn't he, yep. Bruce? Yes, sir. You know, think about that. You know, a guy that really had never played base baseball other than maybe in Little League or, you know, something like that, um, to be able to do that, just think if he'd have been a young fella and, you know, got drafted and had all the talents that we look for today on, in players, what he might have brought to the table. But uh, Herm, incredible stories from Herm Schneider right here on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 to score. Herm giving you stuff that you will never hear um, really anywhere else about training Michael Jordan for baseball. And it's fascinating to hear you, Herm, as a 40 year trainer for the White Sox, talk about the areas that you had to strengthen the shoulder, the elbow, um, the things in even a, a world class. One of the greatest athletes of all time and Michael Jordan are specific for baseball in terms of him as an athlete. Did you realize when you were working with him, did you have any moments of saying, Oh my God, look what this guy can do athletically and physically as you worked with him every day for seven, eight, nine weeks. Uh, I mean, I was very impressed how he went about his, his trade that he was trying to accomplish. Um, how he went about swinging the bat, how he was listening to the instructions coming from Billy Melton and then later on from Mike Huff um, on how to do different things. And they would, like I said, there was, you know, Billy was teaching him about, a, you know, a slider, how it breaks and how, it, you know, a, a pitcher would set you up a little bit with, you know, fastballs and then throw you a change up and, you know, I mean, and different things like that. But those things you don't really experience until live pitching starts and the guy's trying to get you out at the same time. So, but he, but it wasn't like he never heard it before or he may not have seen it as much as we would have liked, but uh, he's heard it and he understood it. Um, he was, he was a sieve for knowledge, you know, I mean, he hmm. was wide open, um, and uh, give me more, give me more. I mean, uh, the stuff you're seeing on the last dance, very intense guy. Uh, fun thing, fun fact was uh, one or a couple of days, um, this fella came in uh, to the training room that uh, Mr. Reinsdorf told me was going to be coming. And uh, he came in and measured Michael and he measured every part of his body, fingers, hmm. length of his fingers, his neck. I mean, every possible part of his body and it was the fellow that was making the statue um out that's in front of the united center today um oh. and then he brought in some renderings of the the statue and 
my it was like three there was like three or four different renderings and we looked at them and, and michael he said to me he said, which one of these do you kind of like a little bit and i said well i like this one he goes i like that one too and it happened to be Jumpman. it was the one that he picked for uh wow that's a his. hell of a story yeah hey it was herm uh we can't thank you enough for all that you got in in 24 minutes yeah. about Michael Jordan. I mean, this this was fantastic. Uh, I, we'd love to have you on again sometime just to talk about some of the great baseball players and athletes like Bo Jackson and Michael uh, that you had. Uh, you know, your, your story, I mean, you've always Ooh. adhered to, I work for the White Sox and uh, my conversations are off the record. We, we don't let anything out here, but you know, as time goes on, this is historic, some of the knowledge and stories you have. And I hope uh, I hope we can talk to you again sometime soon. Bruce, you know, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. And, Matt, it was nice chatting with you as well. In fact, I was doing all the talking. It's not like Bruce <laughs> not talking, you know. <laughs> well, that's what we wanted to have you on for, because everybody is thirsty for as much Michael Jordan information as they get as we watch uh, this tremendous documentary that's going on right now. Herm, the best to you and your family. Stay healthy and happy. Thanks for joining us on Inside the Clubhouse. You got it, guys. Take care and have a good and stay healthy, please. Yeah. You thanks. too, Herm. You too, Herm. Boy, that's amazing stuff from Herm Schneider. And you're right, Bruce. I'm glad you said it to him right there on the air. He, he, we have not heard him talk. And now that he is a head athletic trainer emeritus, yeah, I want to hear about Bo Jackson with a fake hip working his way into baseball shape. Dude homered in a big league game with a fake hip. It's, yep. uh, it, it's amazing. Um, and, and, and Herm let alone was the being... first one to, uh, to take anybody through that for a hip replacement for a professional baseball player. So that, it'll be fantastic. We got to rush to a break and get it in. Yeah. Your, your conversation and your uh, calls are wanted here at 312-644-6767. So Matt and I continue on to 11, and then Rosie and Mark Grody will take over from there. It's inside the clubhouse. We'll react to that. We'll talk about some of the proposals out there for the truncated baseball season, what it might look like, and uh, one player's perspective that perhaps you missed this week on The Score. Uh, that's next on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score, this hour of which is brought to you by U.S. Water Heating Solutions. They service any type tank, tankless or boiler system for homes and businesses. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We're going to work very hard to have them play here. Uh, I have spoken with the commissioners of the very major leagues, and they all are looking for ways to do it safely, 
you know, they want to protect their players. None of them has suggested to me, you know, short of, you know, getting to a stage five, really, that they would have fans or, you know, or many fans uh, in the stands. They are all looking for television, you know, the ability to broadcast a game. That was the governor. That's J.B. Pritzker with his uh, address yesterday. And you heard it on the score and heard a chunk of it right now on Inside the Clubhouse, saying that he's been in touch with various people in sports with commissioners and that they want to get the games, not with people, but they want to get the television revenue. And he went on to say, Bruce Levine, that he is a sports fan. He thinks it'd be great for um, for the, the state to have sports take place in Illinois, and he's going to try and help facilitate it as best he can. Yeah, I'm, you know, the five-step program by him for Illinois and uh, Mayor Lightfoot for Chicago is going to be interesting to watch. Uh, the, the, the reality is that, um, you know, it's very, very doubtful that fans will be involved in, uh, in baseball games this year. Uh, it's just the, the process, if you think about it, Matt, is it's just too difficult to even figure out until there's a vaccine. Uh, until that point, I, I don't think we're going to see that. Uh, it's just practical and realistic. But nonetheless, it uh, would be great to have the game back. Uh, you know, the latest plan, as was uh, floated again this week, was uh, possibly uh, spring training and uh, at the uh, sites of all the team's uh, home stadiums beginning sometime in early to mid-June and games starting sometime in early to mid-July. I think the dates that we saw were not realistic for something like two and a half weeks of spring training. That's not going to be enough, Matt, after all this time off and how important uh, the the players' health is, you know, besides, you know, the the physical challenges of, uh, you know, the pandemic, just keeping these very important, very talented players healthy and getting them through, I believe, at least four weeks of spring training is essential. Hmm. So, but th- that, that plan that you've heard mentioned um, that you were giving reference to, um, it seems to be the most um, feasible, this idea of not involving a whole bunch of different sites, but just really setting up shop right there in the home ballpark and letting the players work it out with as small a group as they can and yeah. then having those games happen with as small of a group of media as possible, as small of a group of technical people as possible. And it, it seems to be the most feasible of all of them anyway. It, it does, but it, it also doesn't because of the fact that uh, using one field for a spring training met is well, not realistic. That, that is yeah. just not realistic. There is not enough time for all 40 people that you'd like involved in this to be able to uh, get all their work in, unless you're doing it in shifts, which you could, uh, you mm-hmm. know, from from 7 a.m. until 7 a.m. until midnight, and you 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 shift it. But but the practicality of working out as a team and uh, getting your individual abilities together and working in groups uh, for fielding, for uh, pitching, for all those other things, it'll be an extreme challenge on one field. 
Yeah, no, but but those are the kind of adjustments that the entire country is doing. If anybody wants to go back to work, I have heard some incredible stories from from friends, from from my wife's uh, in her work situation, and just so many different things about what people are doing or might consider doing just to keep doors open, to keep yourself afloat, you know. And um, so so those are the kind of adjustments that I would hope baseball players would be willing to do. And what's interesting is that with all these different plans we've heard floated. Um, I, like you, have wondered, well, what's real here? And you've been mentioning there's all these different models that they have, these different things that we were talking about. But then we heard a player this week on the score talk about that. Right, Bruce? Yeah, Eric Kratz uh, joined Danny uh, Parkins for uh, the um, with the afternoon show on what day was that, Matt? Was it Tuesday? I, I, I think it was Tuesday, yeah. And, yeah. And, and Eric Kratz is, you know, has played for, what, 11 different teams as a catcher, a great talker, right. great stories. And he and Danny go back to their Kansas City days. Um, and and this, is, this is Eric Kratz talking about the different plans that we've all heard floated and what he as a player uh, thinks um, it, about those plans and the way that's gone. I think they're just kind of dropping nuggets out there to see, see what sticks on the uh, 670, the score. Maybe 690 the score. I'm not sure which one they're dropping it on to to figure out what the fans are liking about this scenario or that scenario, and because none of this stuff we we ever hear of. So they don't they don't communicate that to us. Uh, the communication we get is the real stuff. You know the stuff that they've discussed, and as far as from a team wise, you know we we get we get pretty constant communication. I mean, we get at least one text a week, you know, just asking if we're good, if, if everything's healthy, how our workouts are going, if we're able to do baseball stuff, all that stuff. So they, they, they check in pretty regularly. That's Eric Kratz talking about it, and he said that they, as the players, they get the real stuff, Bruce. Right. So, so yeah. you know, here here's what I believe the reality is right now, Matt, and that is still – uh, the governors and the and the mayors of the states and cities will be the ones to inform Major League Baseball when they can do what they want to do in their particular cities. It won't be Major League Baseball's decision. It won't be the federal government's decision. It'll be the medical people advising the states and the cities of how to and when to open events that feature more than uh, 50 people being in a, in a in one room, which is going to be the case for Major League Baseball, and uh, and that and the monetizing of what the salaries are going to be for the players once that other part is figured out, and, and this is going to be first this week. We expect to hear from Major League Baseball and the Players Association, hopefully, about a, a agreeing to the monetizing of players' salaries and what that's going to be like. And very quickly, Matt. Uh, the yeah. players are getting $170 million divided by the 750 players for April and May. After that, there's nothing promised. Uh, initially, they talked about uh, players taking a prorated amount for the amount of games that they were going to play. That was not uh, figuring out that fans were not in the stands. With fans not in the stands, that's 40 to 50% of uh, the gross revenues for Major League Baseball, and a new figure has to be figured out for paying players. This is going to be uh, how uh, and when we hear from Major League Baseball and the players agreeing 
of when they can come up with this type of idea. Right now, there seems to be uh, a, a big, big difference in what the players expect and what the owners are prepared to offer. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, and, you know, the NBA is in a different kind of situation. But what's similar is yesterday, when you hear about some of the issues that Adam Silver in a conference call with a lot of players talked about, mm-hmm. once you really start getting close to thinking about it, the complications and the real challenges present themselves. And it's very awkward. It's very sure. awkward. And the yeah. more the more open and honest you are, the better. And that's not exactly been the relationship between ownership and the Players Association. And the difference in the way uh, the t- players are paid, everything is 54-46 in the NBA. That's the revenue sharing split, period. That's how it goes. In Major League mm-hmm. Baseball, uh, the players uh, get paid uh, at the end from the receipts of fans in the stands during the postseason. Okay, everything else goes to Major League Baseball ownership, and that's about a 1.5 to 1.8 billion dollars for postseason television rights. That goes all to them. Okay, so mm. the players you can bet are going to be trying to get the owners to divvy up some of that money at the end rather than just going on the receipts that they get for the first four games of the World Series. Uh, That's how they get paid their big amount at the end. That's how it's divided up for the players that were in the playoffs. So there's a big differential between how the sports are paid and, and when they do get that money. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. If you want to hop in on anything, some of the proposals we're talking about, what's realistic, what is not, or the stuff that Herm Schneider had to say about Michael Jordan, we have time to take your calls for a few more minutes here on Inside the Clubhouse. He is Bruce Levine. I am Matt Spiegel. We're here until 11. Then it's Rosenblum and Grody after us right here on 670 The Score. Welcome back in on 670 The Score Inside the Clubhouse is the show. He is Bruce Levine. I am Matt Spiegel. Happy Mother's Day weekend to all of you. I will be hosting Hit and Run tomorrow morning uh, on a Mother's Day Sunday. A variety of things going on on that show. Scott Radinsky, the former White Sox pitcher and longtime punk rock lead singer, Bruce, is going to come on. And that's just my kind of guest. One of, one of my favorite people. Be sure to send my regards to him. Uh, I will. He's also the uh, brother-in-law of Ozzy Guillen, as you know. Uh, I, yes. Yes. Uh, so uh, mm-hmm. there's there's family stories there that you have to uh, extract uh, tomorrow as well. The <laughs> the family, the Guillen Radinsky family get-togethers. Uh, that has to be a must of the show. So I'll be listening and uh, the reminiscence of uh, people and uh, callers on Mother's Day is a, a must and a, a staple of your. Uh, your show on uh, on hit and run on that Sunday. So looking forward to that. Uh, also, uh, rest in peace, Little Richard, uh, who passed away uh, today. The iconic rock and roll and R&B star, who really was uh, one of the main uh, main people in the beginnings of rock and roll back in the 50s. Yeah, it's amazing he's still alive, that he was, anyway. Um, it, yeah. it, incredible. Very, very important um, in the uh, the formation and the and the evolution of rock and roll, like you say. And uh, my, my goodness, the, one, of the, one of the first, first guys golly. to take... Um, uh, good golly, Miss Molly. And the, the fashion and the glam nature 
of, of how he dressed up and went for it and held on to that for a long, long time. He was there were not many people willing and daring enough to do what Little Richard was doing out there. Yeah, he his act would actually work in 2020. Uh, it really would. It, it combined so much of the entertainment form, as you said, Matt, so well. He dressed, uh, you know, 50 years ahead of his time where he would just mm-hmm. totally fit in right now. The the consummate entertainer, boldness beyond belief, talent beyond belief. He, he was a great entertainer. But we digress as we get back into some baseball talk. And we were still uh, pointing toward uh, how baseball can return here and what to believe as a baseball fan as to what's realistic that uh, the owners and the players are talking about as we hopefully get closer to the opening of baseball 2020. Ed is in Arlington Heights and is now a caller right here on Inside the Clubhouse on 670. The score, 312-644-6767 if you want to hop in. Good morning, Ed. Oh, hi. Uh, Cub fan Ed, Arlington Heights. Uh, Thanks for the great show every week. My thought is uh, since the weather in July, August, September, in Florida, Arizona, and Texas is really pretty sweltering, pretty terrible. So uh, my thought is you've got five legitimate, nice baseball parks in California. They're all within six hours at the most uh, driving from L.A. to, say, San Francisco or Oakland. So you play three games a day, uh, potentially. You'd have one at 10 in the morning, one at 2.30 in the afternoon, one at 7 at night. Uh, you have, limit the games to either nine innings or maybe at the most one extra inning. So you maybe have an hour and a half sort of between games. Uh, families could maybe move out to hotels or something in those California areas. But everything's pretty proximate. You'd have uh, five legitimate, nice baseball parks. Uh, I think maybe that's uh, workable. And weather-wise, you could do playoffs in uh, November as well as the World Series. The weather's fine there in November. So, and you would limit the travel. You would limit uh, how many facilities uh, that you need to operate safely. Um, yeah, so I think that's a possibility. And, of course, they've actually had better results with uh, taming the virus to a degree in California compared to various other states. Uh, so, anyway, just a thought. I'm an avid mm-hmm. baseball fan for many years, uh, walking down to Wrigley from the north side uh, way back when. Hmm. So that's my thought. Yeah, we Thanks, appreciate Ed. it very much, Ed. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. an interesting idea. You know, the old Pacific Coast League met uh, before there was baseball in California, major league-wise, back in 58 uh, when uh, the uh, Dodgers and the uh, Giants moved to California for the first time. The old Pacific Coast League was a major league by itself. They played seasons sometimes of 180, 190 games a year, if you can wow. imagine. Because they could, right? I mean, they could because the weather is always that good. So, so Ed makes a, a few good points. I don't know how the change of the coast and the TV time would impact a, an entire amount of games coming from California. But it's certainly another idea to throw out there. Yeah, you know, he, he, I, I like that he's thinking about what the realities might actually be in terms of travel and, and, and just kind of, you know, keeping it to driving, keeping a, a team essentially quarantined on a bus, those, those kind of things. I just, um, it, it, all of these are going to end up being very, very tough asks. The, the old Pacific Coast League, um, San Diego Seals, right? Mm-hmm. With, with um, 
yep. with uh, Joe Ted DiMaggio, Williams. I believe, mm-hmm. and Ted Joe Williams. DiMaggio, that's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, well, well, Ted wa- was from San Diego. Sent from uh, San Diego. Yeah, and uh, you know, certainly Joe. They both they both played in that league, and mm-hmm. uh, DiMaggio came from there for sure. So it was it was a major league with major league quality talent, and they also paid their players so well that many of the players at that time refused to go to the to uh, the uh, major leagues because they were getting paid so well living in California year round. Uh, they had the life right there that they wanted. Yeah, um, I remember yeah, DiMaggio was a, a San Diego SEAL uh, long before he was a New York Yankee. Crazy. Um, I, I love talking baseball with you, Bruce, and thanks for uh, for getting Herm Schneider on. That was just absolutely tremendous and very rare opportunity to get to Matt, talk to I'll, him. Uh, I'll be... I'll be uh, looking forward to your Mother's Day show tomorrow. It's always must-listen between 9 and 12. People can follow me on Twitter, MLB Bruce Levine. Also on our website, I write Cubs and Sox, 670thescore.com. Take care, Matt. Have a great uh, day, and I will see you later. Thank you very much, Bruce. Um, yeah, hit and run tomorrow morning. Scott Radinsky, Paul Sullivan on uh, the on Jordan and baseball, and a whole bunch more. Your Mother's Day stories regarding baseball tomorrow morning on Hit and Run as well. Have a great day, everybody. Rosenblum and Grody are next, and then it's Cubs Mariners at 2 p.m. right here on the Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 